0: The following is paid programming brought to you by WT Wealth Management. Nothing we discuss should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational purposes only. Please do your own research and speak to an investment advisor or financial planner before making any investment decisions. Welcome to Intelligent Investing with Glenn Least. I'm your host, Jeff Orbits. This is a multi-part series on cryptocurrencies. Glenn and I will Get into the basic of basics of cryptos, their history, and a lot more with Ben McMillan and Ben Jacobson from IDX Digital Assets. And Glenn Least is a senior investment advisor with WT Wealth Management and uh, Remember, Glenn, we've got the you've got the podcast growing numbers, and yep. people can uh, subscribe to that simply looking it up. It's, it's all over the place. Now. Intelligent
1: investment, with Glenn Lee, and any of your favorite podcast series. And uh, so, good morning, Jeff. T- today, I've got some special guests in the studio with us. Uh, the uh, one of the managing directors, uh, Ben Jacobson, and Ben McMillan, who's the chief investment officer for IDX, and. Uh, it's kind of an interesting story how we got connected all these uh, about, a, about a year and a half ago. Um, I was actually searching to find a, a solution for my clients as we got more and more of the questions of what is Bitcoin? How does this work? And uh, we actually started a, a strategic relationship where um, they are one of the largest uh, digital asset uh funds out there that's available based out of Scottsdale, Arizona. So they are in studio with us today. So I'm excited to explore um, and, and do this at Bitcoin 101 and kind of some basics of how it works. So we've got the resident experts in the, in the studio with us.
0: Well, yeah, and we'll start off with uh, Ben Jacobson. And we'll try not to get confusing here since you're both Ben Jacobson and Ben McMillan. Uh, but we'll start with you, uh, Ben. Uh, give us kind of the background. Tell us the story of of the group.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I just got confused. Nah, no worries, no (laughs) worries here. Uh, Unfortunately, this is smart Ben. I'm handsome Ben, but nobody (laughs) can see that. Unfortunately, so. But once again, uh, Glenn, Jeff, thanks for thanks for having us here. You know, really, the story with IDX is an interesting one in the sense that we really got started more as a institutional institutional research firm. And what I mean by that specifically is think large investment groups, family offices, which is you know financial advisors for the ultra high net worth. Think international banks, think insurance companies looking for specific exposures that weren't easy for them to find. IDX was a group that would build those customized exposures for them. Now, it just so happened to be that, you know, all the founders of IDX, we were all very much participating in the digital asset space, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014. And with a lot of what we do, optimizing for risk, managing downside risk was a lot of what we were doing for these institutions. So when it came to digital assets like Bitcoin, like Ethereum, it was very easy for us to essentially take what we were doing with traditional asset classes and bring them over to cryptocurrencies. And it's been a very, very fast growing space. All of a sudden here, you know we fast forward a few years and this is one of our major business lines at the business. So um, it's been a super fun ride. We're kind of in that unique sense where we have that real world asset management Wall Street type of experience. But at the same time, we're uniquely positioned in the sense that we've got the engineering background, the programming background, and we've been in this space uh, very early. So it was a very easy transition for us to, to work our way into digital assets here. Uh,
0: ben McMillan, um, how, I think a lot of people get confused as far as what cryptos are and what, can you give us the basics as far as, um, as far as what Bitcoin is?
3: Yeah. So it's interesting, you know, when Bitcoin kind of came onto the scene, it's been a lot of people don't necessarily realize it's been around for more than 10 years at this point. So, you know, the the first kind of Bitcoins came out, uh, you know, right after the financial crisis. And, you know, a lot of people back then up until fairly recently, it was really just seen as a currency, a digital currency, very speculative in nature. um, and, And that was kind of it. Um, you know, fast forward and, you know, underlying Bitcoin is, you know, a technology blockchain technology of which the crux is we don't have to get into the nuts and bolts, but the the crux is it's really decentralized in many ways, just a decentralized database. And so there was a lot more that this type of technology could do. So what we've seen in the last couple of years now is the blockchain technology starting to power, you know, real world applications. And so I mentioned that because people are thinking about less as just purely a speculative, you know, currency that, quote unquote, doesn't do anything. And now they're thinking about it more as, you know, technology that can power, you know, real world applications. Did you
2: want to add to that? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think the the blockchain is kind of at the crux of all these different digital assets here. And I think it's worth taking a quick second to to try to understand a little bit. So if you look up the blockchain, essentially you're going to get an answer that says something along the lines of, this is a digital ledger, right? This is a way of accounting that is all kept on, you know, uh, in a, in a digital fashion. And, you know, that can make some sense to people, but I have an analogy that I think really can help you know, kind of tie into why this even matters and why this is important. So hopefully sir, this uh, analogy is compared to, to golf. Hopefully there's some golf fans out there, but as long as you understand the game, you should, you should understand this here. And really what it is, is imagine, let's say, Glenn and I go out and, and play golf, right? And it's just the two of us. It is very easy for me when Glenn is not looking, maybe he's sizing up his approach shot. If I have a bad light, I can easily fix it without him seeing. Then my scorecard at the end of the day, well, I cheated. I didn't necessarily take that penalty stroke there. Glenn never knew the wiser or maybe even glenn's in on it it's just the two of us maybe i hit a shot that's you know from 150 yards i get it two feet from the pin glenn says ben that's close enough you can have that putt i didn't actually make that putt but on the scorecard it shows that so all of a sudden you have this game where one person two people think the numbers can be fudged but what if instead glenn and i were playing and we were at a tournament And there were hundreds of people all around the hole watching every single move that we make. There's cameras all over the place. There's thousands more on TV watching. What if all those people were at home keeping their own scorecard? It's a lot harder for me to kind of, you know, get the foot wedge in there and fix my lie without taking a penalty stroke or Glenn giving me a putt that didn't count. All of a sudden, now that it's not one, two people and there's this consensus approach, it's a lot harder to cheat. It's a lot harder to fabricate. And at the end of the day, that's what the blockchain is you have all these different people all over the world thousands thousands of people all contributing you know to see what is this next block of transactions that we're going to add to the chain essentially what is that correct scorecard and then you get incentivized for being the first to provide that block to the chain or the first to turn in the correct scorecard and that's what mining bitcoin is and that's when you get Bitcoin for that work. So it really is just a way of being able to keep everything organized with a consensus mechanism that's a lot more difficult to fabricate or have fraud for.
0: All right. And we're here with Glenn Least and he's brought, uh, Ben McMillan and Ben Jacobson with IDX Digital Assets. We're trying to dive down and understand yeah, cryptocurrency yeah. more because I think a lot of people have a lot of questions on this one,
1: Glenn. Yeah. And I was thinking what you're, you're mentioning, Ben, it reminds me a lot of what, how the financial system works with the bank. So you go to your, your merchant, you swipe the card, the transaction goes to the bank. They verify, okay, you've got those funds. Uh, usually it's Visa or MasterCard doing that, you know, Process for us. Okay, the funds are there, kicks back to the merchant. Yep, they're good for their money. You know, go ahead and process the transaction. So, you know, all of our financial transactions have to go through that process, and there's a, a third party middleman operating and taking a, a cut of it. What happens if you were to uh, cut out the middleman and just have that transaction go? between two people um, but how do you ensure that there's no fraud going on and this is where the blockchain because every single person that has a bitcoin ha- is basically verifying those transactions so it's, a, it's, it's a technology it has a lot of implications especially in the in the financial world is how, how do we implement this and does it have value moving forward and, and that's where we're having this whole conversation so I think when people look at the, the blockchain technology a lot of times their head kind of spins it goes what exactly is this how is this, how is this you know relevant to my life. And I think that's exactly why is it can be used to verify uh, transactions in a store of money. And, and I think, now more than ever, we're really starting to take a look at our our method of value uh, and how we transact because the U.S. dollar is, is fairly stable in most regards. But if you're in a, a developing nation where you're transacting back and forth, say you're in Venezuela and you're using the boliviar, uh, it has a lot of inflation has a huge impact. So they may want to look at an a alternative method of transacting back and forth. So m- maybe Ben McMillan, what are some unique characteristics of bitcoin in the space that make that uh more of attractive long term for the future of this technology
3: no, it's a great question. It's it's you know scarcity is the big one, and it's interesting if you go back to the original white paper, kind of talking about the idea of Bitcoin, it mentions the financial crisis as kind of you know one of the underpinning reasons for launching this technology. And I think you fast forward. It's interesting you mentioned Venezuela too. They were some of the early adopters. I mean, there was Bitcoin ATMs in Venezuela in 2012 for that exact reason because they had no faith in their fiat currency. Okay, um, and you know it's it's not surprising. It's you know because of the scarcity of, of Bitcoin and the fact that it's decentralized there's a high trust factor that there's only ever going to be a finite amount and so unlike you know something like the US dollar where the, you know the government can unilaterally decide to print 8 for, trillion dollars during the pandemic 8 yeah. trillion dollars during the pandemic you know all of a sudden we're seeing skyrocketing inflation and that's hitting people in the pocketbook so that's it's renewed i mean you hit the nail on the head it's kind of you know renewed a lot of investor interest in bitcoin as a store of value um, now, that's not to say it, you know it isn't volatile, because it is, but it does have the scarcity characteristic that a lot of people have likened to things like gold um, or real estate that, you know, again, that just doesn't exist in fiat currencies.
1: So as I was looking online, 20, 21 million Bitcoin is the total amount available, and there will never be any more than that in the future, whereas, like I was saying, the U.S. dollar, they can just turn on the printing press or turn on the computer and just print a whole bunch more. So the scarcity is one factor. And then the decentralized nature, so that part... I think we should we should look at that maybe just a tad bit more. So it's decentralized. Is there some things that are good about that and bad about that? Because I think that's one of people's criticism. But at the same time, maybe that's actually a plus, depending on where you live and your your current government and the faith that you have in those currencies.
3: Exactly. I mean, one the big pro of decentralization is that nobody can take it down. Um, and, and governments have tried. You know, China's tried to you know ban Bitcoin, and you know they have. You can kind of do it at the edges. You can you know you can when they tried to ban Bitcoin miners, for example, you know the company's just redomiciled offshore, but you know some of the we we, we would just laugh years ago when people say, "Oh, Bitcoin!" You know the government's going to ban it. You know they can't they can't ban it as long as you have you know an internet connection. Bitcoin is going to persist, and as long as it provides utility, like you said, I mean, uh, you know, uh, you offered a perfect example of kind of wire transfers is a is a great example of the real world utility of Bitcoin payment settlement. You know, you're starting to see big companies look at if you can have a. A decentralized way to verify transactions, you know that can that can cut out a lot of the kind of a middleman layer. Um so that's the good thing about decentralization. You know the bad thing is that it can be a little bit slower from a technology standpoint. You know centralized technologies generally can pivot a little bit more quickly. Um, but you know again if 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 uh, you know if you're willing to kind of you know learn uh, live with a, a little bit you know slower learning curve, you know the decentralization really is is a big plus.
0: You're listening to Intelligent Investing with Glenn Lease. Give Glenn a call right now for a free, no-obligation consultation. It's 928-225-2474. That's 928-225-2474. Back with more in just a minute. Listening to Intelligent Investing with Glenn Leist, give Glenn a call anytime at 928-225-2474. That's 928-225-2474. You can also go to wtwealthmanagement.com. Talking cryptocurrencies with Ben Jacobson and Ben McMillan. And of course, uh, Glenn Leist is here with us as well.
1: So, Jeff, I'm thinking probably you're probably thinking the same thing that I'm thinking right now. What even gives the value of Bitcoin? Right. So yeah. we have this this uh this uh number that they say Bitcoin is worth. Where does that value even derive from? Who's to say it's how's worth? it set? How's Has it, it set? Yeah. yeah. What determines that? Um One of the bends, if you want to chime in, how do you determine the value of a Bitcoin, this technology sort of thing?
3: Yeah, I mean I think that's one of the big reasons it's been so volatile is because the market has been, you know, trying to get an idea of of you know what the what the value is, what the quote unquote fair value is. Um it's it's interesting. You know, different people look at it different ways. Um, you know, a lot of traditional Wall Street folks will say, well, you know, we we value companies using the discounted cash flow method. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's a misconception that, you know, Bitcoin generates no money or, or, you know, cryptocurrencies in general, de- you know, generate no money. Um, a lot of them do generate revenues. You know, there's, there's a, a, there's a decentralized version. You know, a lot of people know Coinbase as the centralized exchange for cryptocurrencies. Well, there's a decentralized version of that, which is not owned by anybody or rather it's owned by the people that hold that token very much, uh, in the, you know, in the same way of a cooperative bank or something like that. It, it provides the same function of, as Coinbase and it earns a lot of money. Money. And so people are often surprised when they realize that this this you know program is entirely self executing code on a blockchain technology, providing the same real world value as a centralized company in which you can own stock. But the, the corollary is you you know you own you own uh, protocol tokens. So there's you know there's a cash flow where you can do discounted cash flow. Uh, method. Another um, another popular thing is is a lot of people look at the marginal cost of mining a Bitcoin, and they liken that to gold miners. You know, oftentimes if you look at you know gold mining companies in their 10Ks or 10Qs, they'll talk about what they're you know depending on their efficiency, depending on where their mines are, you know their their marginal cost of an ounce of gold is X amount. Well, same thing for Bitcoin miners. You know, their two big inputs are electricity and their technology, and so they have a marginal cost of Bitcoin that kind of puts a floor on it, which ironically is about where we are right now. So that's one of the reasons you're starting to see kind of a bullish resurgence around Bitcoin is because we're at that kind of lower bound of mining. But it is, I mean you raise a good question. You know, the market is contending with, you know, like all technologies, internet stocks in the nineties are a perfect example. The market's looking at and discounting all these future potential use cases to the present. And that's where you get the volatility around price.
1: So if I'm hearing you correctly, part of part of the value comes in the technology and the utility, but also much like our current any currency, it's the confidence in the system as well. So that that's going to derive the value of the Bitcoin Is one is how much does it cost to mine each Bitcoin for raw costs and that's kind of the floor that we're at. But also uh, moving forward, it does drive hard its value because of what the people using it say it's going to be worth and, and what their perceived value is. And that's any fiat currency. I mean, the same thing with the U.S. dollar. It has value because we have faith in the U.S. government whereas the Venezuelan currency that it has very little value because the people have no faith in the system, you know, their current government and them being able to be stable. So I think that's really important for us to look at the underlying technology of uh, Bitcoin and blockchain in particular, because then that helps us derive where does this go? What is the value of it? Um, So, so a lot to to cover here, a lot of information. I'm I'm finding this all the, all this stuff, very, very interesting. Jeff, uh, I I
0: have a basic question that a lot of people might be asking right now. And that is, um wh- when did this start how did it start yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. who started it i well, mean any any history you guys can give uh we, i think a lot of people would appreciate
3: yeah i mean w- you know one of the biggest mysteries is who started it um it's he, uh the the author published a white paper uh, generally re- 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 referred to as the satoshi white paper he went under the pseudonym satoshi and he talked about a decentralized kind of method of payments and it was all very theoretical Um, and like I said, this came out, you know, like 2009, I believe immediately after the financial crisis. And I, you know, I remember kind of in the various technology forums, this idea popping up, it was, it was very theoretical, you know, back then they were giving out Bitcoins just as a use case. I remember actually sending a Bitcoin back and forth to a buddy, you know, just to test it. And it was, you could, you know, back then you could kind of think about, all right, you know, this has, you know, interesting potential use cases, but it was all very theoretical. Um, but you know, and from there it kind of, you know, slowly, you know, gained steam and, you know, one of the points about um, you know, volatile fiat currencies. That was one of the first real, I would say, real-world use cases. Was you know, Venezuela, Cyprus actually had a you know a currency crisis several years ago, and you know you would see these pops in Bitcoin. And I remember, I forget the year, but it was you know Venezuela is going through you know one of their you know currency crises like they do you know every couple of years apparently. Um, and you know you saw Bitcoin you know kind of run up to twenty dollars, and you know that was interesting because again, if if even if blockchain technology had no other, you know, real world application powering payment settlements and all this other fancy stuff. Just the fact that it was a, a, a safe haven, quote unquote for these, you know, these volatile fiat currencies was a very interesting use case. And, uh, you know, it's only, you know, uh, expanded since then. I mean, one of the interesting things was during the Russian in, uh, invasion, when Russia actually uh, put on currency controls, we saw a huge spike in Bitcoin prices, uh, you know, on Russian exchanges. So again, you know, people in the real world using it to flee a more volatile alternative. But to answer your question directly, I mean, it's, it's anonymous. To this day, nobody knows who the, who the original author is. He released it anonymously.
1: Yeah, so actually we're going this is a two-part series. So the next series, next part I want to cover on future of uh Bitcoin, where we think this is going, implementation in our daily lives. Um it, you know, some of the the pros, the advantages, some of the cons, you know, I want to talk about um you know, h- how how do we navigate the the volatility for those that maybe want to have this as part of their overall investment picture. So, we, so we've got a lot to come. I mean, we should probably do like a multi-series on this, but it, I'll, I'll, we'll do I'll, that because yeah.
0: we're just about out of time for this so let's yeah. pick it up next week yeah. and i think we got the basics on all of it glenn and yeah uh, very basics but we need to get into it deeper so uh we'll be back next week with all this and then break down uh where you see all this going where the technology is going into the future so a lot here uh this may turn into one of glenn's three part series yeah, yeah we've yeah, we'll see. before yeah all right. You can learn a lot more about Glenn and WT Wealth Management by giving him a call right now at 928-225-2474. There's no obligation. Glenn will chat with you. Give him a call 928-225-2474. And we'll see you next week at the same time for another edition of Intelligent Investing with Glenn Least right here on 97.1 FM, The Big Talker. We'll see you soon.